Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Robert Zirk. My co-host Nolan Bicknell is on holiday this week. Today on River City 360, it's the best of season one. The first in a two-part series featuring an interview with Michael Moss, the benefits of a walkable city, and coverage from the Alloway Arch grand opening in October. All of this, some great music, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and good morning. You're listening to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you. Since our debut in March, we've brought you 40 half hours of interesting stories, insightful interviews, and great music. So while we take a break for the holidays and prepare for a brand new season in the new year, we thought we'd go back into the RC360 archives and visit some of the stories and interviews that we thought you'd enjoy, whether you're hearing it again or for the very first time. It was tough for us to decide which stories to include, and we certainly would have loved to have included more of them, but remember that you can always go back and listen to the full archives, so all 40 episodes of River City 360 through our website at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. And don't forget, we'll have more next week, including an exclusive interview with NHL star and three-time Stanley Cup champion Jonathan Taves when my co-host Nolan Bicknell brings you part two of the River City 360 Year in Review. But before we get started, let's play a song. Here's Sugar Sugar by the Archies right here on River City 360. Sugar
Welcome back to the River City 360 2015 Year in Review. Robert Zirk here with you this morning. Earlier this year, I spoke with Michael Moss. He's an award-winning investigative journalist whose book, Salt, Sugar, Fat, How the Food Giants Hooked Us, is a New York Times bestseller. He shared his insights on why salt, sugar, and fat are so prevalent in the food industry, and what you need to know the next time you visit your local supermarket. Here is Michael Moss. The problem is that the industry has marched around the grocery store adding sugar to products that didn't used to be sweet before. So bread now has added sugar. Some yogurts, I think, can still have as much sugar as a serving as ice cream. And one of my shockers in my own shopping in the store is the pasta sauce aisle where some brands can have the equivalent of sweetness in a couple of Oreo cookies and a tiny half cup serving. And what this has done is created this expectation in us that everything should be sweet. You yourself had the opportunity to try some of these processed foods without the salt. Tell us a bit about that experience. What was that like? I went to the largest food companies and said, look guys, one thing that everybody's asking you to cut back on is salt. Why can't you do it? And Several of them gladly invited me in to show me why. One of my favorite trips was out to Kellogg, where I went into the research and development lab. And they made for me special versions of some of their biggest products without any salt at all. And I have to say, it was one of the most awful dining experiences I ever had. And the clincher were the cornflakes, put them in the bowl. Before I could even take a bite, the chief spokesman for the company swallows and gets this look of horror on her face, and she blurts out the word metal. I taste metal, M-E-T-A-L. And the chief technical officer is there with us, and he laughs a little bit, and he says, look, you know, not everybody will taste that, but one of the beautiful things about salt for us is that it will mask these off notes that are inherent to some processed foods. One of the most challenging problems for the food industry is meat. Because when meat is rewarmed as in a canned soup, the fat oxidizes and gives off what the industry calls warmed over flavor. They will also describe warmed over flavor as the taste of wet dog hair. And I think all of your listeners can probably guess what the solution is. It's adding a little bit more salt. By and large, across the board, many of the companies find that there is a cliff. And if they cut back too much on salt, their products turn to straw, turn to rubber, turn to yuck. Is there room for healthy food alternatives to succeed and catch on with consumers? Or are they kind of fighting a losing battle against these foods that have been engineered to be tastier? When you go to Nestle and you say, okay, I see you're cutting back on the bad stuff, but what are you doing to create, say, a hot pocket that's not just lower in salt, sugar, fat, but stuffed with Brussels sprouts and broccoli and and what have you. And you're getting kind of a blank stare from them because it's really hard. We're talking about years of research that they need to do to come up with truly healthier formulations of their products that'll actually taste good and will sell. Because one of their biggest defenses, and you can't fault them for that, is that it's stupid to put out a product that nobody's going to buy. But I do think it's starting to happen, and I think we will see that. 
Are there any other ways that people can take action, and what can we as consumers do? Make a shopping list and do everything you can to stick with it. Spend more time on the outer edges of the supermarket. That's where the produce is and the less processed meats. If you eat meat, be really careful in the center of the store. And the ends of the aisle called the end caps, that's where food manufacturers will rent space to promote almost invariably kind of the less healthy for you products. And the checkout register, of course, is now loaded with bad for you stuff because you're standing in line and just totally exposed to sort of the impulse buy. You know, we all have to work on our kids, not to preach to them about foods, but engage them in a conversation. And then finally, it's kind of like just realizing that the whole notion of convenience in processed foods is an overblown myth. It doesn't take that much more effort to cook a meal yourself than it does to pick out prepared foods and serve those. And it's more the problem I find is that it's a challenge of just kind of redeveloping better habits. And if you can do that, if you can start by cooking just simple meals yourself, it makes you, I find it's made me much more mindful about food, which is one of the big keys here, paying attention to what we eat and also kind of falling in love with food again. Thank you to Michael Moss, author of Salt, Sugar, Fat, How the Food Giants Hooked Us. To learn more, you can visit his website at michaelmossbooks.com. And if you'd like to hear the full interview, which is in two parts, visit our website online at rivercity360.org. That's rivercity360.org. And you can hear more in episodes three and four of our first season. Coming up after the break, we'll hear some highlights from a panel discussion hosted by Community News Commons entitled, What's Our Walkability? But first, here's Petula Clark with Downtown, right here on River City 360. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Downtown, just listen to the music of the traffic in the city. Linger on the sidewalk where the neon signs are pretty. How can you lose the light so much brighter there? You can't forget all your troubles, forget all your cares, so go downtown. Things will be great when you're downtown. No final place for sure, downtown. Your problems surround you, there are movie shows Downtown, maybe you know some little places to go to where they never close Downtown, just listen to the rhythm of a gentle bossanova You'll be dancing with them too before the night is over Happy again, the light's so much brighter can't forget all your troubles, forget all your cares, so go downtown, where all the lights are bright, downtown, waiting for you tonight, downtown, you're gonna be alright downtown, 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 
Community News Commons held the What's Our Walkability panel discussion. It was a well-attended event that sparked some really great discussion about how walkable Winnipeg is and why it matters to us. Sheila Graham is the Healthy Built Environment Specialist at the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority, and at the discussion, she addressed our city's walkability from a healthcare perspective. Everyone's been telling you for years that walking is good for you, why don't you do more of it? And of course people have a lot of reasons why they're not walking more, why they're not getting physical activity. And we've found that it's gotten to the point where 40% of Manitobans are physically inactive, meaning they don't get at least 150 minutes of physical activity every week. And physical activity is a risk factor for a lot of chronic diseases, and that's really where we're seeing an increase in people being unhealthy. So it, it's things like diabetes and cancer and heart disease. And those have really big healthcare costs. In fact, in 2008, the Heart and Stroke Foundation estimated that the impact of physical inactivity and overweight obesity was more than $100 million for that year alone. So that's really important and something that the health system really needs to figure out how to manage. So it actually costs us money as a society if we don't walk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, do, you save money yourself by not having to drive everywhere, right. but it also saves the system a lot of money if we can all be a bit healthier. But despite those benefits, most of our neighborhoods are far more car-friendly than they are pedestrian-friendly. Is that a sign that people would rather drive their cars instead of walk? Beth McKechnie at the Green Action Centre disagrees. To me, the important thing is that people were asked, are you interested in walking or cycling more? Because that's really it. I mean, you can't judge the need for a bridge by the number of people swimming across the river. Right. Uh, so it's a matter of looking at it in terms of not what are we doing now, but what do people want to do if, if the situation was such that they could do it. Hmm. Okay. So given the choice, maybe the majority of us would prefer to walk. You know, I, I think it's ingrained. It's, it's just part of who we are as people. We have the, these appendages for a specific reason. Right. And we feel better. We've talked a lot about physical health, but mental health is right. a huge part of it as well. Matt Carreau, organizer of Jane's Walk Winnipeg, also talked about the social benefits of walking. When Beth was talking, I was thinking about an aspect to this, which is about civility and like sociability. You know, when you're walking, you see other people and you're sort of forced to, you know, have a relationship with those people and understand those people or, or make attempts to understand people and you bump into people that you know you bump into people you don't know you you know there's always the possibility that you could meet someone make a friend make a connection so how can we improve the walkability of our neighborhoods Sheila Graham stressed the importance of our decision-making and how it can influence changes. Most of my job at the Health Authority is actually talking to the planners and the engineers and really trying to find out how can we make our neighborhoods. So some of us here are saying, we want this, we want things to be like this. So we're really trying to say, okay, what are the bylaws? What are the, the regulations that might be challenging to creating these neighborhoods? Um, so we're we're working on that. I encourage, like you say, everyone to get involved in that. A big part of it is that we need to ask for different things. So when you're voting, when you're buying a house, when you're building a house, when you're making really any decision, <laughs> really think about the message you're sending by making that decision. Are you asked by doing X, are you asking for something that you want or are you unintentionally asking for more of the same? Finally, Sheila explained why walkability is such an important issue for us to think about and discuss. 
We simply cannot keep going forward the way that we are. I hate to play this card, but our health budget is going to steal all the budgets from yeah. all the rest of things because people really seem to care about that healthcare budget. So if we keep having to treat more and more cancer and diabetes and heart disease, and we will still have to do some of that. But if we can make some changes to our built environment that will help to reduce those costs in the long term, then we can have money to do all these other fun things that we also want to do. That was Sheila Graham. She's the Healthy Built Environment Specialist at the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority, and that audio was recorded at the What's Our Walkability panel on April 30th. Just a quick note, several days after the panel took place, the City of Winnipeg announced a $330 million plan to encourage active transportation in our city. You can read that full story on Community News Commons at cncwpg.org. Coming up after the break, October saw the grand opening of two new public features at the Forks in Winnipeg, the Alloway Arch and the Widow's Might Fountain, and we'll revisit our coverage of the event. But first, here's Glenn Campbell with Try a Little Kindness, right here on River City 360. If you see your brother standing by the road With a heavy load seems he's if you see your sister falling by the way, just stop and say, when you're going the wrong way, when you've got to try a little kindness, yes, show a little kindness, but just shine your light for everyone to see. Thank you for listening to River City 360. Nolan Bicknell and Robert Zirk here. So, Robert, a very special addition was made to Winnipeg right down at the Forks. Indeed, the Alloway Arch finished construction and was unveiled to an audience of over 250 people, members of the Winnipeg Foundation's board and staff, 
local press, and hundreds of donors and guests joined the Lieutenant Governor Janice Philman, and she said some lovely words after the opening prayer. There was also former Premier Gary Philman as well there. You and I as well were on location. We, we were lucky enough to speak with some of our wonderful guests that attended the event. Barb Kendall was one of the guests, and she was glad to see the completed feature. As always, I think they've just done a great job. It really impresses me, this whole archway idea of walking into the forks, I think, is, is really quite a landmark. Her husband, Dale Kendall, commented on the symbolism of the new features. When you think of uh, the three coins in the fountain uh, and the archway and how the Winnipeg Foundation started and that whole story, I think it really comes together artistically very well in the, in the setting. I think that's what that was one of the coolest parts of the whole story was the widow's might and the three the three coins and the three fountains and it was very cool. It's such an inspiring story. Yeah. The idea that it doesn't matter the size of the gift, but it's that we all give and that we all work together to make a community that flourishes. It is a metaphor for community. It's it's perfect. Manju Loda thought that it was significant to have the widow's might fountain, the Alloway Arch, as well as the statue of Mahatma Gandhi, all lined up, representing philanthropy and nonviolence, respectively. I'm really impressed, and what I see, the, even the architecture on the top, when you see the flowers or little petals, they're like lotus uh, leaves. Oh, yeah. So the, the similarity in the architecture of the east and the west is also symbolic on the arch. We were also very lucky to speak with Helen Hales. She's the former board chair of the Winnipeg Foundation. She was actually one of the people who cut the ceremonial ribbon right at the start and threw a ceremonial coin into the fountain to kick things off. She was very pleased with the turnout and sort of how the community really came out in support of the event. And the people that you know when, out, when you all come together and, you know, and people you don't know but uh, care, I think that's important. And the current chair of the Winnipeg Foundation's board, Susan Milliken, reflected on the legacy of caring and accomplishment that the arches represent. I think the arch is a reminder of how much the city has accomplished and how historically we've cared for each other. And I think it also makes us, or should make us, stop and wonder what we're contributing now and what people will be saying about us in 70 years. What do you think Alloway would think if he saw all this? I think he would be thrilled because I, I think he gave the money not expecting anything, let alone the success of the Winnipeg Foundation. And to be honored this way, I'm sure if he was here, he'd be smiling. So it was a great event. Um, thank you to everyone who came out. And if you haven't seen the Arches or the Widow's Might Fountain, be sure to head down to the Forks and check them out. It's a, it's a wonderful addition to Winnipeg, and it's a, it was cool to be a part of the launch event. On next week's show, my co-host Nolan Bicknell will be back, and he'll talk a little bit more about the summer campaign for nourishing potential launched by the Winnipeg Foundation. In the meantime, here's the Winnipeg Foundation CEO, Rick Frost, to talk about how the Nourishing Potential Fund came about. All Winnipeggers probably feel a degree of concern about Winnipeg being labeled as the child poverty capital of Canada. The Winnipeg Foundation already spends quite a bit of money on basic nutrition uh, type programs, but we were looking for gaps, and so we convened a group of 30 or so uh, organizations on a couple of occasions and said, where are the gaps? We were led uh, down a course of discussion to create the Nourishing Potential Fund. 
Essentially, it focuses in on healthy choices. We're looking for organizations that do teach about the importance of good nutrition. And the program was designed to provide better food choices to organizations, to augment their food budgets, essentially, um, to provide some extra money for uh, equipment like fridges or stoves or those kinds of things, and also to provide for some training dollars because uh, food handler certificates are also really important in this kind of uh, area. Thank you for listening to River City 360. My name is Robert Zirk, and I think it's time for a song. So here's Dean Martin with Volare, right here on River City 360. Volare Cantare oh, oh, oh. Let's fly way up to the clouds Away from the maddening crowds We can sing in the glow of a star That I know of where lovers enjoy peace of mind Let us leave the confusion and all this illusion behind And that's a wrap on part one of our 2015 Year in Review special of River City 360. Thank you very much for listening and a big thank you to everyone who joined us throughout our first season. If you want to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes or subscribe to our podcast, please visit us online at rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with Community News Commons and 93.7 CJNU-FM. We'd like to know what you think about the stories we aired this past year, so please give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can leave us a comment about the show, or request a song, or suggest a topic for a future show. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. You can find us by searching River City 360 on Facebook, and we are at River City 360 on Twitter. I'm Robert Zirk signing off for River City 360. Thank you again so much for listening. Nolan will be back next week with part two of our 2015 Year in Review special, and we look forward to launching our second season in the new year. Thanks again for listening, and have a great Sunday. Mm-hmm.